filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster I tweeted out a photo of my shoes uh, after the game, though, only. I didn't tweet, that out, tweet it out beforehand. Um, I got this pair of shoes uh, over the holidays, and they had to be worn in a little bit. They're leather, so you got to you know make sure that... Um, Ooh, leather shoes, la-di-da. I get, I get blisters a little easily, so I wanted to wear them in around the house before I went out, and then... As you might recall, in this area, uh, January and February and early March were full of either, you know, snow or sleet or rain. And it wasn't raining. Well, it was cloudy and weather. humid. Yeah, it was, it was garbage. Um, and so, the, the you know, it, it was always kind of muddy and wet outside. And it's a good way to get your shoes messed up right away. So I was like, oh, I don't I don't want to wear them out in this and get them messed up the first time I step out the house with them. So um, the days leading into the game happened to be very dry and not humid. And finally, like Saturday, I looked outside and I was like, this would actually be a really good day to wear shoes. Um, and then, you know, no days are good to wear shoes. By yeah, the way, well, that's the, that's the downside. Then, yeah. Were you the guy in college that walked around barefoot, even when it was snowing? No, but I did wear flip flops, even when it was snowing. And whenever I come home, I immediately take off shoes. Cause I hate wearing shoes. Shoes are bad. Don't wear shoes. Shoes are good. No, 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 no. If you want to be nah. barefoot, that's fine. Um, I do. I do. I would rather wear feet. no shoes at all. Just my feet need to breathe. But see, the point that the, the thing that Ben said, which I actually do agree with, is, you know, wearing shoes outside is bad in that it is fraught with danger because your shoes might get damaged or stained in some way. Um, so don't wear shoes and they can't get damaged. Uh, it was a little uh, cold to be out barefoot, um, not to mention, you know, walking from no, just, the, just, just just wear trash shoes and then you don't have to care. No, don't wear trash damaged. shoes. That's that's no, that's unacceptable. Have you um, met Jason? <laughs> I don't know. J- Jason and I are very, very opposite in, yeah, in this we're regard. The opposite end of the spectrum here. Um, but yeah, um, so I wore them to the game. But the whole time I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting up there having the little food beforehand setting my computer up and I'm like, man, if DC loses this game, I might never disassociate one. This one loss might ruin these shoes for me forever. Like it doesn't matter if they are completely clean and I like the way they look. It'll just be, I'll just think of immediately think of they lost that first time I wore them there. So don't wear um, shoes. Yada, yada, yada. Jason will never take those shoes off his feet. Yeah. I've actually been told by a team employee that they might not let me back in. uh, If I show up (laughs) with different shoes uh, for the next home game. So, um, you know, I guess that's how it's got to be because uh, things things turned out all right, and they didn't get stained. On top of all that, cool. Boy, did they ever turn out all right! Uh, hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United, and shoes. No, shoes. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. The question okay. mark was part of the statement, Ben. It's okay. not the shoes podcast. It's the shoes. 
podcast. Is that acceptable? I guess. Can I get the buy-in from both of you on that? Uh, vaguely. I think it should be more pro shoes. I think it should be more anti-shoes. <laughs> I'm Adam Taylor. These two choose your absurd, preferably vulgar descriptor uh, are Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley, who I, I understand is extra salty tonight because he, he missed last week's episode with the literal plague and he he's beaten the plague and now he wants to like declare victory over everything it. else. I've got He's got hot fire to spit, is what I'm saying. So buckle up, folks. Uh, we're all from Black Beans and Red United. <laughs> it's that Richmond uh, vulgarity that'll get you every time. Beans, heck, beans. Uh, we're all from blackandredunited.com. We write about soccer. We talk about soccer, especially DC United. And uh, if you weren't paying attention, Jason said that this game turned out pretty okay. And... Uh, Five nothing is is a pretty okay result. DC United uh, winning by that scoreline over Real Salt Lake on Saturday night on Buzzard Point, and uh, we're going to talk about that in the second segment. We are going to answer your questions. We're opening up the Twitter box as we like to do. There's no game next week for DC United, and we don't really feel like focusing a whole segment on the U.S. national team just yet. So uh, we're we're not gonna we're gonna do a Twitter box instead. Before we do anything though, Ben. What very salty beverage are you drinking tonight? I am busting out the first of our, uh, I brought back a hundred bottles of wine from my parents' house because my parents moved and we busted open the first bottle of that wine tonight. Uh, it was a 2009 French Bordeaux. It was good. I mean, yeah, my parents like to buy wine and they buy it. They buy like, Bottles under $30, but they just buy a lot of them. And so they just let them sit in basements for a while and then they turn up pretty good. So we had one of those. It was good. I, what can I say? It was good. Yeah. You don't have to buy expensive bottles of wine to be a wine person. You can just buy 20, 30 bottles of uh, dollar bottles of wine, and let them sit in your basement. For for a little while. It depends on the type of wine, but if you well, yes. know what you're doing and choose yeah, you, you got to do wines, you you can definitely do that and it's a good right. call. It's got to be like a Cabernet Sauvignon, it's got to be a Syrah, it's got not a Merlot. Don't do it with Merlot, folks. And if you don't know what you're doing, find someone that does. Yeah. Ask yeah. them to tell you what to or, do and then Or just do a Cabernet Sauvignon cuz those are always going to be good if you age them. Google is your friend. Don't uh, do Merlot. Really though, don't do don't age Merlot. Just drink Merlot if you like Merlot. Don't like Merlot, but yeah. I'm I'm gonna throw it up for for Washington State Merlots. There there are some really good ones up there. Um, I'm drinking a uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce this Tomatin um, Highland Scotch uh, single malt twelve uh, year old. Uh, whiskey that was aged in bourbon barrels and finished in sherry casks. Um, it was a thank you gift from a friend because I loaned them uh, a, a movie on an antiquated physical format called DVD. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, Digital video discs? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was called. That, hmm, that, that is what it, it stood for. <laughs> um, but they they are not scotch drinkers and had received this as a gift and 
we're looking to regift it to a good home and uh, my loaning them a DVD that's pretty readily available anywhere um, was was their excuse to get it out of their house. So I am drinking it. It's it's not bad. It's uh, it's an easy drinking scotch, which I'm I I tend to prefer cleaner whiskeys than how smoky uh, it, medium smoky. Like the smoke is there, but it is not. Um, nope. It's not overpowering, which is I, I, I want to like, be kicked in the face with smoke. How do you feel about peat? Love it. Okay. So you're like a Langevin guy, like really just down there in the muck. Yeah. You want to drink yeah, dirt? Yeah. Yeah. I just, just like if you piled a bunch of dirt up and just smeared it all over my face, I, yeah, just give it and to me. And set it on fire, like a but, smoldering yeah. fire. Yeah. Get, not- set it on fire for a little bit and then turn off the fire and then just rub it in my face. The order of operations is really important there. Also, I don't know why we're rubbing it on your face. It's a little well, weird. That's Ben's request. That's what it he is. wants you to do. That's true. And then he's going to drink scotch with the muddy face. Um, actually, the dirt has nothing to do with the scotch. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I, I, I still have a little bit of leftover, or had, I should say, um, of the leftover uh, fresh grapefruit juice uh, from last week with my little uh, progression on the Paloma, but Instead of doing that, I have um, some mezcal, uh, a little splash of the fresh grapefruit juice, and then I top the whole thing off with Orangino, which is another grapefruit plus. Uh, I, I don't actually know which citruses are in there. I know grapefruit is. I I guess orange juice is in there. Orange. I don't know. It's Orangina. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, it has no. It has no master. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it's an extremely summery drink, like a, a mezcal and a um, yeah. fizzy citrus beverage is definitely not for our, my phone says right now it's 36 degrees uh, in my neck of the woods. Um, but you know, well, then you should good. move to Richmond. Richmond is like 15 degrees warmer That's, than DC. Um, so uh, our, our good friend, Kate McCauley was yeah, saying, she was this, saying um, something about that that she went down for the spirits preseason game at city stadium and was like, it seems like DC is the exact cutoff for when the weather turns bad because the, the temperature difference down there, just a little bit, you know, just a little bit further South is dramatic. And like spring has started effectively. And here it still feels kind of like winter. Yeah. We got blooms and flowers and all sorts of shit. We, we do not. Yeah. Yeah. Come to Richmond. We got flowers and shit. That that should be the the move <laughs> yeah. to Richmond. And don't have four ninety five. I'm not going to get into ben, an are, argument about Richmond. Ben, are versus, you going to are you going to become like a city? Um, I don't know what that like. Not like a city planner, but like a the sort urban of development. Yeah, yeah, like like not maybe the tourist board or just somebody who's trying to get people to move south and you're just going to berate them into coming to Richmond because uh I mean no, actually don't come to Richmond cuz Richmond is already great and we don't need you here. So please don't come here. <laughs> so he went from total booster it. to NIMBY in 10 seconds. That was incredible. Uh in my I mean, mind yeah. up until up until he went NIMBY, Ben was the Leslie Nope of Richmond. And now, nah, man. Now I'm the Ron Swanson. You're going to find Ben on the side of 95 trying to, to throw rocks at cars and dissuade them from driving to Richmond just in case they were thinking of moving. 
or I'll just instead of fixing 95 because 95 is terrible in instead of uh, fixing no. potholes yeah. to to help serve the community like Ron Swanson he's going to create potholes to discourage people from yeah. driving through on 95 I mean Woodbridge already does a good enough job of That's- dissuading people from moving south yeah you get stuck in the traffic jam there and you think please god <laughs> never again uh, this is why least, I live within walking distance to work. Yeah. This is why I don't go through Woodbridge because Woodbridge is terrible. Which is, it's just sorry, Streff. It's, it's just a place where you get caught in a traffic jam. Inevitably, there's no there's no way around it. It's just your life is a traffic jam. Um, it's uh, it's like going north on 95, and there are, there are tolls, and you just got to pay the toll. There's no way around it. In Woodbridge, the toll is a a, a psychic toll uh, on your soul. It is your time and your your very being. Yes. Um, let's talk about soccer instead of traffic. Uh, okay, I guess. When, <laughs> one of those goes better with drinking. I'll I'll just say that. That's that's true. Don't don't go to Woodbridge in your car drunk, unless someone else is driving your car. Even but also, then. don't go to Woodbridge and don't drink. Like I mean, all right, soccer, soccer, guys, 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 guys. <laughs> Go to Woodbridge, drink Uberback. Then your car's in Woodbridge. But no, I'm not falling into this. <laughs> when you are a team in MLS and you have three guys on the team of the week, including the uh, player of the week, which should have been unanimous, but I understand was not, uh, you probably had a pretty good week in, in the soccer side of things. That's certainly the case for DC United, who ran Real Salt Lake off of buzzard point five to nothing behind standout performances from junior Moreno, Leonardo Hara, and Oh yeah. A Wayne Rooney hat trick. Um, it, it was a, it was a fun, fun game. Good time to, to be at Audi field. Um, I, we, I think we, it's, it's only reasonable to start talking about the hat trick. So, uh, Jason, what were your thoughts on, on the hat trick? Um, just what was your experience of the hat trick? Uh, the penalty, um, you know, it being Ramondo's last visit to RFK in our predictions post, uh, from before the game, I actually almost put in that. I thought DC would win a penalty and Ramondo would save it, uh, just for old time's sake. Um, so when DC won a penalty, I was like, Hey, what if that had turned out to be exactly right? And I was just, you know, off base because Rooney's record on penalties isn't bad, but it's not lights out. Uh, he's not, he, you know, famously he missed one in the penalty or the playoffs last year. Um, and, and over his career, he's been a respectable penalty taker, but not a like money in the bank penalty taker. So, um, I definitely spent a moment thinking like, you know, Ramondo saving this would not be the, the way the game was going at that point. If he had saved it, we might be talking about a very different game. Um, but it was a really well taken penalty. Uh, sent Romano the wrong way. Put it in the lower corner. Um, really about as good as it gets as far as uh, as far as that goes. Um, the second goal I thought was spectacular. Um, Leo Hara stepping up, winning the ball, and then playing that pass. Yeah, um, we're going to talk more about that. Yeah, that pressure later in the segment because that um, was awesome. And then, you know, Rooney still, it was a great pass, but Rooney did still have work to do because we've seen plenty of MLS strikers walk in on Romando and then end up, you know, kick save or whatever. And, and that, that first touch and maybe a little bit of a uh, fake out with the eyes got Romando to, to bite low. And then he just sort of clipped it past him. Um, and then, uh, 
you know, the, the, he had the miss, uh, before he got to the hat trick, he, he had that mm-hmm. header, uh, right now. He actually, after the game spent more time, um, his comments, to the media were more about the miss than about his hat trick. Um, and then, you know, the, the third, I love the fact that he, first of all, I think that was the best team move of the night, uh, for DC, um, the passing sequence that led to that. Um, and junior Moreno, you know, you, he's running onto the ball and, you know, he's having a great game anyway. So I was thinking like, boy, it would be pretty awesome if Moreno put this away to cap off the rest of his night. Um, but he did the classic defensive midfielder thing, which is to pass to the guy that might be on a hat trick on the doorstep so that he can just uh, slide in and, uh, you know, what, two yards out. Um, so that's, that's like the, the maybe the rep you know, that kind of sums up Moreno's, uh, style of play and his, his sort of ethos as a player, because he's not flashy. He's not um, necessarily the guy that goes to goal that often. And in that moment, he's like, you know, the best thing for me to do is to give it to uh, Wayne Rooney uh, and let him tap it in rather than try and go for an angled shot on my own. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, it's something special. Uh, it's, it's also, it's wild to see, you know, I saw the tweet from Paul Carr saying that um, Audi field has had, what four hat tricks since it opened and the rest mm-hmm. of the league in all the games in since 17 then. games. Yeah. And essentially and then, a year's worth of games. And then everyone else has like 194 games uh, total. And there have been five hat tricks in those games. Um, so something special is happening at Audi field. It, it's not just that the team is awesome. It's also that um, it's a place where remarkable things keep happening. It's, it's like a charmed venue, I guess. Yeah, I, it was fun from the stands. I remember the confusion around the penalty um, because a lot of us had followed the ball and mm-hmm. missed that uh, uh, shoot, Marcelo Silva had had stomped on on Ariola. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine that that I sit with w- was saying this is going to be a penalty. Like as soon as the ball went out, um, and and the trainers or the the physio came on to to look at Ariola. Um he said this is going to be a penalty. And I was like, "What what are you talking about?" He's like, "He got stepped on in the box. It's it's going to be a penalty." And then we see the yellow card come out. He's like, "Yeah, it's going to be a penalty. He just hasn't signaled it yet." And then the the order of operations was very strange because um it went out for a throw. I don't even remember if there was a signal. There certainly wasn't a whistle for a foul or anything. And then the yellow card comes out and then VAR and then the um, the signal for penalty. It was, it was like things were happening out of order. Um, the second goal, um, like, like Jason said, came very, very quickly after a very slow sort of meandering buildup to it with RSL on the ball the whole time. Um, it was, it was a good time. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to watch. And uh, obviously Audi field rocks most of the time when you're, you're in there. Um, but when the team is, is doing that to another team, uh, even, even more so. And not like a bad team. No, the playoff team last year, they made the playoffs. They won playoff games. Um, and a quick look at their roster and it's like, yeah, there's a lot of talent on that team. They're not perfect. They're not a contender necessarily, but it's not the same thing as, as pummeling, uh, the 2019 San Jose earthquakes, for example. Yeah, I mean, Dunny last week talking about them in almost effervescent yeah. terms about the the talent they have, and he he's not wrong. We saw them get on the 
get out on the break at the end, even with nine men, they're, they're two subs get out on the break and almost score. Um, which was something like those guys should probably be starting more games, but, um, they definitely have the talent. Um, I want to talk about our central midfield, junior Moreno, Russell Knauss, um, are, they are putting their, their name, very, their names very strongly into consideration for the best engine room in MLS right now. Um, Moreno, uh, uh, you heard Jason talk about the the goal he he helped create for for Rooney to finish the hat trick, but he got another assist uh, on Ulises Segura's goal, um, which was also created. Actually, both of those goals were created by his own pressing and his defensive play. Um, you look at the fact that United has given up no goals this year and just seems to stop attacks just seem to stop at the top of the box uh, against DC United. And that's just, they go to die there and teams end up just taking shots out of frustration and impatience. Um, and, and those two guys in defensive midfield are a huge part of the reason why um, Ben junior Moreno got into the team of the week this week. I think Knauss Knauss hasn't been in it yet, but not for lack of trying. Um, what, what's your take on, on these two? Yeah. Excuse me. They've been really great this year and they're just continuing from where they've been last year. Uh, Knaus has been great since he came here. Uh, Junior Moreno had to take some time to acclimate to MLS, but he's been really great too. I mean, he's a Venezuelan international and he's just proving that he is among the best defensive midfielders in MLS. I, I know that Jason semi jokingly posted about posted the uh uh his stats uh at the end of the game and through these first three weeks he's been the it, probably one of the best three defensive midfielders in MLS. And when DC United signed him, that's not where anybody thought he was gonna be in any way, shape or form. And he has just excelled across all ways, shapes and forms. And he may be the next person that DC United sells for five to $10 million. And nobody thought that that was going to happen when they signed uh, junior Moreno, but he's been an integral part of this team. He's been just as good, if not better than Russell Knauss. I think, He's been probably through these first three games, probably like one of the two or three best players on the team. And it's, it's just another uh, hit out of the park from uh, Dave Casper. And he's, there's a reason that Chris Durkin hasn't been able to get on the field at all. And it's because junior Moreno has just knocked it out of the park. And if yeah, it, Chris Durkin the is going to not, if, if Chris Durkin's going to play him off the field, Chris Durkin is going to be is going to have to be one of the three best defensive midfielders in the league, and he's not there yet. But everybody but Junior Moreno isn't there yet, so it's not a it's not a knock on Chris Durkin. It's just Junior Moreno has been that good so far this year. Yeah, the reason Durkin can't get on the field uh, is not because Ben Olsen is afraid of playing him. We saw that last year. Um, 
that that Olson is perfectly willing to throw Durkin out there. It's that Knaus and Moreno are they're writing their names on the team sheet in ink just with their play, and that's that's a good problem for Ben Olson to have. It, you know, you, I want to see more Chris Durkin, but not at the expense of of those two. And I don't think there's a change you could make to fit all three of them on the field, and that's fine. Um, one thing in this game that I thought was interesting is normally you have a, at least in my mind, Junior Moreno is kind of the deeper lying, um, more positioning, uh, subtle player for, uh, of the two in central midfield. And Russell Knauss is the more mobile destroyer. And they kind of swapped roles for most of this game. And, and Moreno was the one breaking forward into the attack and, and sniffing out attack or sniffing out, uh, plays to break up, uh, and, and roaming a bit more. And I, Jason, I'm curious if, if that was your takeaway as well and, and what you thought about that. Yeah, I think there's, there's, you know, I, I'm, unfortunately someone had already asked a junior Marino related question at the press conference afterwards. I didn't want to, um, you know, extend the thing out with one last question about, um, Moreno, but, um, when I look at how they approach this one, um, it does even on, you know, you if you look at the, the map, it kind of bears that out that, um, Canals was a little deeper, um, very much. He's the right center midfielder and Moreno's the left center midfielder in, in the, in terms of splitting the field in half vertically. Um, and maybe some of that is down to, um, if Canals is going to play right center, then he's dealing with Albert Ruznak in this game more than Moreno, who then has the freedom because, um, especially after Jefferson Severino was sent off, um, Corey Baird was basically just playing as a right midfielder. He wasn't necessarily pushing high. He was trying to help defensively. So it, that opens a lot of opportunities to get forward. Um, so I think for this game, it might've just been a, um, tactical idea, uh, based on Ruznak being, um, out on the left, uh, which is something that RSL has been working with. Uh, they've been, you know, Dunny previewed that that could be the case. And then it turned out that that's what they did. Um, but the key here is that Moreno made such good use of that. It wasn't just that he was out there and was like, Oh, I guess I got to get forward a little more like Russell normally does. Um, I mean, he only misplaced two passes and one of them was a long attempted through ball down the wing. Um, you know, the two assists are a big deal. Um, him adding that element to his game, uh, I think is a really good sign because last year he was really good, really solid, um, a good partner for Canals because Canals covers so much ground and Moreno was content to sort of be uh, the guy behind him that just sort of made sure the space was still occupied so that if if Canals couldn't win a particular ball, Moreno is still there to protect the back four. Um but that does get, you know, when your double pivot isn't really a double pivot, if it's one guy is usually the one that goes and one usually stays, you get predictable. Um, this is how uh, United was able to predict that Canals needed to stay a little deeper in this game. Um, not that it was RSL's double pivot, but it's it's an element of predictability, making it easier to deal with uh, another team. Um, if Moreno can be this much of an offensive threat, uh if he can show, and we're going to get into the high press thing, but if he can show this intelligence in when to step up and press um, 
and be a problem for other teams in that manner, then now all of a sudden it's not just because Canales, it's obvious, you know, the guy covers so much ground so quickly that teams have to game plan for him because he's good at winning. He doesn't just get on you really quickly. He's really good at winning the tackle um, because he's strong and he's got good balance. Even if he doesn't win the tackle outright, he still manages to push you out of, you know, you go in 50, 50 with him. You're not coming out of it uh, able to make the pass you were intending to make. You've got to look another way. You've got to turn backwards, something like that. Um, And so teams will tend to want to play away from a guy like that. But if now, the other side of the field is Junior Moreno playing at this level. What do you do at that point? Do you play long? Because then you're playing to Birnbaum and, and Briant, who also uh, quietly were very good once again, which is another really positive thing for DC. Um, it, you really, the way that they've, that group of four players has played at such a good level this far, this far this year, that it's really difficult to attack this team. And that's, um, that's a big reason why we're still the only, you know, DC finished week two as the only team to not concede a goal. And now they've played another game and they've still not conceded yet. So um, Moreno has been great. Uh, this development of his is a really positive sign on both sides of the ball. It makes things so much harder for opposing teams that, you know, they're used to being like, okay, we kind of have a feel for how to attack DC. Um, if we can avoid canals, we might be able to, uh, find pockets of space here and there on the other side of the field. Now that's off the table. Um, yeah, between the two of them owning the central part of midfield, um, it, it forces teams to play out wide. And then if you're sending in crosses, you're you're sending them into Burnbaum and Briant, and they're going right. to eat those all day. And Bill Hamid has pretty good command of his box as well. If you're if you're trying to put him in behind them, so it's it's a a good plan for, for DC United. <laughs> I mean, even if you go wide, you know, Leo Hara, Ben Olson said after the game that it was the best he's seen Hara play since he arrived. Joseph yeah. Mora has been consistently very strong all year long. Um, there's nowhere to go against this team right now. Yeah, it's, it's a good place for DC United to be in. Um, I, I, I do want to spend a very short amount of time on the, the two calls, like seriously, 30 seconds, uh, the penalty was the correct call. I, yep. I I don't care if the ball ricocheted off his leg, uh, off of uh, Silva's leg. You you can't step on a guy. There there are some fouls that you can look the other way, even in the box, if they didn't really affect the play. Stomping on a guy's ankle is not one of them. That has to be a yellow card. It has to be a penalty. That's it. Another play that really just the referee has no discretion whatsoever is when you put your cleat into another player's face. As Matt Doyle said, it doesn't matter how short a guy is. You can't kick him in the face. Yeah. I don't care in, I I don't think uh, Severino had any malintent whatsoever. I think he was honestly trying to play the ball, but he did so in a way that endangered the safety of the opponent. And you know, it endangered the safety of the opponent because he's put his, because he put his cleat into another guy's face and it doesn't matter if you meant it. There's no, uh, you can't kick a guy in the face. Yeah. There's no scienter requirement for a red card. There's no requirement that you have evil will. It, it, you did the action. You did something that endangered the safety of the opponent. That's it. That's a a red card. You did a bad job. I mean, it, I think Savarino understood. He was saying, listen, I, I didn't know he was there. I did this. I was just trying to play the ball. And, David Gantar, to his credit, uh, said, that's great. 
here's your red card. Yeah, you know, I get it. I know this isn't me coming down on you for being some sort of monster who kicks people in the face all the time. Yeah. Um, this is you made a play that endangered your opponent. You kicked the guy in the face this one time. And- the laws of the game say that I have to send you off. It, this is cut and dry. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with a penalty. There is a um, we didn't use it because, you know, Wayne Rooney scored a hat trick. So we figured we should use photos of him uh, after the game. But there's a great photo in the um, one of the databases that we have access to for putting photos for with our articles. And it's a photo of Marcelo Silva making contact with Paul Ariola's ankle inside the standing box on is, yeah, is I think the term you're looking for. It's, it's the literal exact, like if you, if you had someone who was saying, Oh, there's no foul there. You would so show them this photo and be like, this is what you're saying. Isn't a foul. Um, because it, it's as clear as day. And, and it's not great that that needed VAR because that should have been, you know, Gantar from where he was, he should have been able to spot it. Um, but this is one of the reasons why it was brought in. I know not everyone's happy with VAR, but if it's going to exist, these kind of mistakes are exactly what it's there to, to fix because this is a play that needed to be called as a penalty kick. Uh, there's no two ways about it. Um, and I'm glad that they got it right. Even if it, even if it took the fallback, if it's it, I'd rather have it called by the referee, but um, justice was served in the end. And that's what's important. It's not, you know, I saw a lot of RSL fans were not happy about it. It's not controversial. It's, you know, you can't step on someone in the box uh, just like you can't kick anyone in the face. Yeah. And this was the 32nd minute that this happened. And um, just to, to clarify and clear up any confusion, um, RSL had had two shots to that point mm-hmm. in the game. They were both from outside the box. And um, one of them, you know, was, was, an okay shot, but it was, it was right at Bill Hamid basically. And he wasn't really troubled by either of them. Um, and DC United were up two to nothing at the, at this point or n- not at the penalty when the red card happened, DC United mm-hmm. were up two to nothing. Th- these calls did change the game. A penalty changes the game, but it was correct. And it wasn't like RSL were, were really pushing for something either. Um, so I, the idea that the referee gifted this game to DC United and screwed RSL is just bizarre to me. Um, but RSL fans are going to do what they do and that's fine. Um, but, but this was a great night for DC United. I want to talk about pressing. Now we, we teased it a little bit earlier. Um, if you want to know what DC United's defensive identity is in 2019, Look at Wayne Rooney's second goal, and if you if you have Flow Sports, uh, queue up the uh, the the match replay. And the goal was what um, that second goal was in the forty first minute. So go mm-hmm. to the thirty eight minute mark and just watch for the next two minutes, and you're going to see DC United's defensive identity on full display. And you see this just perfectly executed low block for two minutes as RSL cycles the ball around, gets to the edge of DC United's third of the field and just turns around and goes back and just passes it around the middle third and tries to find an entry point and can't do it because DC United is just in this low block and the the central midfield is so well positioned and so good at marking uh, players there that there's no way through and RSL just doesn't try. They, they get there and they turn around and go back and if, Eventually, they pass it back to Armando. DC United's not quite in the right position to, to 
turn on the press, so they they stay back. RSL tries again. Wayne Rooney, of all people, is waving people into position when he can tell that RSL is going all the way back again. And DC United comes out of this low block and just flies up the field when RSL passes it back to Armando. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you have this really intense high press that forces a turnover when Leonardo Hara um, steps up and and takes the ball off of RSL's left back after, uh, I don't know if it was Brooks Lennon or one of RSL's center backs that played it to him, but he was under pressure from TT Rodriguez and Acosta was backfilling for him and Rooney was pressuring uh, and forcing the angle and then had the uh, wherewithal to stay on side when Hara took the tackle and, and opened up the passing lane. It was just so perfect. It was, it was absolutely textbook how to run a low block and then how to turn that into a press, which is that kind of selective press is something that DC United has been working toward over the last few years. And we, we saw Lucho quarterback it when, when he first came on. But this is another level from there. Yeah, this was um, this is a high level execution thing, and it's not easy to toggle between playing a low block and then having uh, pressure applied in that manner. Especially because there were a few times where this is like one or two people applying the press. It's not a traditional full high press, and normally the reason you don't see teams switch back and forth. Uh, between high pressing and then not, or, you know, you'll see teams do a high press for 15 minutes and then maybe take the rest of the half to not do it. And the reason those are scripted when they people teams behave like that, it's scripted for teams to toggle back and forth in game, um, basically down to the player's judgment. It's it. People don't do it because it's hard. It's hard to do that. Uh, there's a lot of ground that you have to cover. Um, everyone has everyone on the same page. Yeah. Everyone has to be on the same page switching, but it's one thing for everyone to be, you know, the Red Bulls, for example, everyone's on the same page, high pressing. Um, but to then switch back and be like, okay, we're going to drop deep again. And now we're going to step out and then we're going to drop deep again. Um, it just takes a ton of soccer IQ. You can't have anyone, uh, that isn't paying attention. You, you need to be able to trust the, the focus of everyone on the field. The communication has to be good. Um, a lot of time and training has to be spent rehearsing this. Um, something I've noticed at really going even back to last year. Um, and you know, the next time you're at Audi field, do yourself a favor early in the game, whenever the opposing team launches, you know, their first attack that might sort of look like it could work. Um, pay attention in the next break in play. Look at DC's bench. Usually you see Nolan Sheldon come up off the bench and he'll usually gesture about something. And it's, it's, it seems to me from afar, like he's doing like a little bit of a refresher, like, Hey, remember we looked at this in the tape, they like to spread out in those phases. And then someone slashes into the space they create. So let's keep our shape. Um, let's keep, you know, let everyone keep on track on what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I noticed that last year, it, it seems like that might be something that's in his wheelhouse or maybe on his uh, plate, as far as, who has what responsibilities within the coaching staff, because it's not, if you see him come up off the bench, he's, he's talking to defensive players or defensive midfielders or Hamid. Um, it seems like that's his department at this point is making sure that this team is structured really well when they, if they're going to be in that low block, that team shape is critical. If you drop into a low block and your shape is bad, you're just going to give up goals all day. Um, and they've been 
they're what they're doing is really difficult and they're doing it really well. Um, and it's not as fun as goals like Lucas Rodriguez is also something that's really difficult and really good. Um, but at the same time, this is kind of a more sustainable thing. It's, it's, you know, if you can keep doing this high level, um, thing, whatever it happens to be, if you just keep doing it over and over again at the level they've been doing it, you're probably going to win most of your games because you're just not going to give up chances, much less goals. So, um, it's really, it's been impressive so far. It's, it's, uh, it's not something that I expected, um, because DC United hasn't done this uh, before. They haven't played in this manner before. Um, and it's not something we see around the league too much either. So it's an unusual, it's kind of a curveball to throw at teams on top of all of the other positives about it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been as important to the team's success as anything else they're doing right now. Yeah, when you hear about a pressing team in MLS, you think of the Red Bulls or Sporting KC, teams that are just known for pressing all the time. And there are also teams that tend to not work real well in the playoffs. Sporting Kansas City has has gotten through it a couple of times to to lift MLS Cup, but the Red Bulls never have. Because KC has altered their approach now. They aren't necessarily as... Uh, full throttle anymore. They're much more of a possession team because I think they got to the point where they realized that um, a relentless high press can be really difficult. But if you just do that 34 times a year and then you go into the playoffs, eventually you either get found out or you run out of gas or both. Yeah. And I think this kind of um, this kind of system is assuming DC United can can keep it up. And when there is inevitably some kind of injury the next guy up can contribute at whatever position it is at the same level um it seems more sustainable because you're not running yourself into the ground you don't have to be twice as fit as the rest of the league to pull this off you just have to be smart and and well drilled and know what your cues are and what your role is in the press in that moment and then execute and i think that is more sustainable and it's also creates some really fun things to watch. And I, I love the execution at the end of this because it was um, we, we saw Atlanta United under Tata Martino. They would just if you made a mistake in your own third and turned the ball over, they were going to score. It was just that was it. Once the turnover happened, the play was over, basically, and they had scored. And that's what we saw uh, on Rooney's second goal and on Segura's goal, um, which was actually e- like a a, a counter press. It was, there was a turnover and Moreno just closed down the guy who got the ball off the turnover and created a new turnover that led to the scoring opportunity. Um, it was a really high level recognition moment from him and in watching these two different kinds of, of pressing mentalities show up in addition to the low block that was perfectly executed and impenetrable as much as I don't like watching RSL pass the ball around for two minutes. It, it, does have its own um, benefit for for DC United, just knowing that they they can shut teams down like that. Anything else from this one you guys want to talk about before we take a quick break and uh, open up the Twitter box? Do, do you guys have anything to say about Lucas Rodriguez's? Goal? Oh God, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, it was beautiful, right? Like the it, how do you do that? Like. What kind of crazy eye foot coordination <laughs> do you have to have to do that? Well, um, can I just talk about how he was really good even beyond that goal? Uh, his mm-hmm. his high press was 
I feel like underrated that he was really good just off of the ball and in all of the things that don't get on highlight reels and don't get on uh, uh, MLS.com videos. His pressing ability is fast and it's uh, and it's good and his his attacking ability is going to come uh like more goals like this i mean maybe not like this uh, this is a once in a season goal but more attacking abilities like this are going to come but his ability to press and his ability to change the game on the defensive side of the field is already what makes him a starter and he's just going to continue to be really good for this team. And I just wanted to highlight his abilities as a defender, as a presser. And that's why he's playing over Ulysses Segura. That's why he's playing over Zoltan Stieber right now. Uh, we also saw um, in this I, game, we saw his understanding. Can I, or if we're sticking with Rodriguez, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was going to okay. do. Uh, we also saw his ability in the attack to understand where space is going to open up and to, to get there before the defense. Um, it, the, the second yellow card to Marcelo Silva um, was because Rodriguez had seen where the pass was going to go before Acosta even received the ball to hit the pass and was breaking into that space and got there and got in behind Silva. Silva was able to catch him, but had to, you know, basically pull him down from behind, which led to the yellow card arguably could have been a straight red, but he really same effect at that point in the game. He should have just let him go by the way. Yeah. Like you're, I mean, Brooks Lennon might've been able to make a play if he hadn't done anything. You're like, if you're RSL, the game is lost. You're not coming back. It's over. Uh, Just let the guy walk in. And if your teammates yell at you, be like, I'm already yellow. Uh, If I commit a foul there, I'm getting sent off. And we have, we have other games to play. Not just this one. Um, I mean, they have a big game next week too against LAFC. It's going to be rough for them. I feel like, Um, yeah, with missing two starters all of a sudden. Plus um, international call-ups. Like it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, I'm glad gonna, DC's off. Yeah. <laughs> um, Man, I don't understand but, why teams consent to play during those international breaks as often as they do. It's weird. Um, but uh, to go back to, to Ben's point about Rodriguez winning the ball back really well, um, I'm thinking over the course of the entire preseason up till now, I think Olsen has mentioned it uh, after, I think after both games, I want to say, um, Wayne Rooney mentioned it specifically, uh, in answering a question that I asked about Hara and Rodriguez after this game in particular. Um, I've heard from a couple other people, uh, from elsewhere that aren't necessarily focused on DC, um, how impressed they are on that side of things. Uh, Rodriguez is apparently this was part of his reputation in Argentina was that when Estudiantes like to press, he was really, really good at making that in like, not just being up there pressing, but actually turning it into something tangible, um, which is something that Yamil Assad was also really good at. Um, if you remember last year, we talked a lot about how um, Assad is so good on the high press and Rodriguez mm-hmm. is doing the same kind of thing. Um, and so rather than being like, yeah, Rodriguez is really good, but I, I, you know, I think they do miss Assad on the press. We don't have to really worry about that. And that's turning out to be a really big factor um, in him staying on the field and in him um, 
actually really making a difference in games without the ball. Cause it's obvious how good he is on the ball. Um, that's almost like, it's not the easy part at all, but you almost want to say like, well, that's the easy part, you know, you know, manipulating the ball. That's, you know, child's play. Um, but he does, he makes that side look easy, but he's also bringing the, the press, uh, side of things, which is much more difficult, especially in a new league on a new team. Um, there's a language barrier to, to some extent that has to be bridged and he's still doing it at this level. And, you know, Olsen said that, one of the reasons they, um, you know, they were there was a question about substitution choices, and they said that they wanted to press Rodriguez to play as long as he could because he's had that preseason injury, so he's still not necessarily at one hundred percent yet. They're still building up his lungs um, to be able to play the full ninety. So when you think about that, that he's doing all of this with this off the ball, hard work, tiring stuff and he's succeeding and he's not even at 100% yet. Um, so there's, I, I think this maybe is why I'm so high on this team right now is that you look around and there's a bunch of little things like that, where it's like, this team can get better. Like they're already doing this and there's room. If this isn't them hitting their ceiling too early, this is like, imagine what happens in like a month and a half when they actually are starting to fire on all cylinders, what's going to happen then. Um, if this RSL team had come and played, the game that they did against DC actually hitting their ceiling. I don't, I can't even imagine what the score would have been. We mentioned that, uh, RSL has a game against, uh, LAFC, um, during this break after the international break, LAFC is, I think that's, that's DC United's next game. Orlando is the next game. Orlando's the next game. And then LAFC is the next game at Audi field, um, which will be a big game. And, it's, yeah, two of the best in the league. Yeah, it's it's never too early to start thinking this could help decide the supporter shield and that that's one that you should have circled on your calendar and if if you can get to the stadium, get there for that one because it's it's a big game. I think that's it for this segment. Um thank you Jason for reminding me about TT's goal because um <laughs> that was a gross omission on my part. We will be right back to talk uh, about your questions, so please stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else. Oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if 
you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Before we get into the Twitter box, I want to um, do some quick news hits um, about DC United, if you guys will indulge me. Uh, I won't. You are. You already are. Okay. Then you, you you know you'll indulge me. Uh, first up, <laughs> first up, Griffin Yao, DC United Academy prospect, sixteen year old, uh, currently playing as an amateur uh, call up from the academy to Loudoun United. In fact, scored the first goal in Loudoun United history this weekend in Memphis. Um, Steve Goff reports that he is close to signing a homegrown deal with DC United. He will most likely continue to play with Loudon, but this is, this is good. He's a good player. He's an attacking player, mostly out on the wing. And, uh, I am pro this Jason. Yeah. Uh, Yao looks legit. I mean, the, I haven't had a chance yet to go back and watch Loudon's game over the weekend. I did see the goal highlight. Um, I did watch the first game and he, he has that tech, that, that combination of technique and also awareness of what he wants to do. He doesn't just get the ball and figure it out. Then he's thinking ahead and for 16 year olds playing against adults, that's really difficult because even a 16 year old that thinks ahead amongst their peers, they aren't thinking far enough ahead to deal with um, fully grown adults uh, professionally. And he does that. He's already got that, taken care of it looks like so um yeah it, it makes perfect sense and you know he'll play the whole season at Loudon just about um but that's that's the whole that's the model right now is you know that's the point you, of Loudon yeah you sign you sign your best homegrown players to a full contract so that if someone comes along you know Dallas has kind of led the way in this department of signing kids at 15 and 16 because if someone comes along and offers um a player that you haven't signed yet, if they offer them a deal, that player is going to leave and you will get absolutely nothing. Um, and, and, you know, this isn't just for DC United. It's not, it benefits the team to have him signed up, but it also benefits Griffin. Yao. Um, if he's pursuing this as a career, if he doesn't want to pursue college soccer, then playing USL soccer, training with DC United, possibly even taking the field, you know, maybe um, that first open cup game, you might see him get in the 18, something like that. Um, those things make a big difference. Those are, those are things that are going to be tangible for him down the road. Um, and you know, at Loudon, I, I feel like he's probably, I, we haven't seen the internationals come in yet. Um, those signings yet, they're still getting their visas, uh, sorted, but, um, once Yao gets in there or even once they arrive, I would expect him to be regularly playing, not just a guy who's on that team, but is actually in games in an attacking role being relied on. And that, it's big. Other news to talk about. We mentioned the international break in the last segment. DC United is going to have a, a couple of guys called up. Paul Ariola will be with the Nats and uh, Junior Moreno with La Vinoteca, Venezuela. Um, these are good things. These are, are these two great players being recognized. Um, and, and good luck to both of them during these friendlies. Uh, Bill Hamid not called up for reasons passing understanding. Um, Greg Berhalter has, has 
I've generally liked what he's done so far, but I I don't understand this decision at all. Uh, Zach Steffen uh, actually got hurt after being called in or was scratched from from the camp after call-ups came out and he was replaced with I it doesn't even matter who he was replaced with because it wasn't Bill Hamid. Um I don't know if we want to talk about this anymore before we start answering questions, but if you guys want to have a go at it, please do. It's dumb. Bill Hamid should be called in. He should have been called in originally and then after the injury to Zach Steffen, he should have been called in again and yeah, I think Wayne Rooney called it befuddling after the um, the NYCFC game. He he said it was befuddling that that Bill Hamid's not in the squad, not even like called into the camp, but in the squad uh, for the games. So that's that's yes. where we are. I I understand that Burhalter wants his goalkeepers to be able to pass out of the back, and that's a big thing. I think he is. But what about just having good goalkeepers? Right, that's what I was about to say is that he's just comically overvaluing that versus all the other stuff that goes into goalkeeping because, you know, Jesse Gonzalez is a decent MLS goalkeeper. That's it. Um, there's not, I mean, he might, he's still young, so he might become something better than that. And maybe that's the thinking with that call up. But, you know, if it was just that one, it'd be like, uh, I mean, it's wrong, but it's not egregious. But the fact that this is coming on the the heels of Alex Bono was awful in 2018, shouldn't have been anywhere near a call up, got called up. Uh, Tyler Miller was fine, gaff prone a little bit uh, with LAFC. He gets a call up. Um, this this is when it, it becomes a pattern. We got three now. It's a pattern. Um, and the pattern is that Burhalter's evaluation of goalkeeping is Klinsman-esque. Uh, I've actually I'm going and nothing should be ever Klinsman-esque. Yeah, you don't want to be associated with Jurgen Klinsman uh, in terms of uh, any soccer evaluating whatsoever. So most of it, I actually don't have a problem with most of what Burhalter is doing. But in goal, he is getting it extremely wrong. Obviously, I agree. Uh, Let's go to questions. Uh, First question in the Twitter box comes from DCU Nihilist. Uh, who's at Vamos underscore DCU on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU. If our form continues, continues, do we still try to sell Lucho for a fee this summer? If he doesn't sign a contract, even if it means blowing a shot at the shield or MLS cup. And, and I think this is uh, a good question and it's one that started to, to weigh on people since the PSG uh, drama that, that fizzled out. Um, Lucho Acosta is currently under contract through the end of this year. He can sign a pre-contract anywhere in the world starting in July um, and leave for free at the end of the season, which means DC United gets no transfer fee. I I guess they would probably maintain his MLS rights, assuming they make an offer between now and then, but he'd be free to go anywhere in the world outside of MLS um, and, and United won't reap any, anything from their investment. Um, Alternatively, they could sell him this summer to a club that wants to make sure that they land him and aren't waiting for him. Because if you're a European team, I think you'd rather get someone like uh, Acosta, who thrives on chemistry. You'd rather get him in during your preseason and and for the whole year rather than bringing him in during the winter midseason. So, big question. If United is in a position to potentially compete for trophies, which it's looking like that is a a real possibility at this point. 
if we get to July and it, it, the team is still looking good, what happens to Lucho if there's no contract? Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully he signs a contract very, very soon. We don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. Um, but what would you guys expect and what I, what would you want to see? Would you want to see United get a few million dollars for him rather than seeing him leave on a free or would you rather see him stick around and the team have a better chance at competing for glory? If DC United doesn't, isn't able to resign Lucho uh, to an extended deal uh, or if Lucho doesn't want to sign a, a deal and that's perfectly within his rights. Uh, I think they should just keep him for the rest of the year and just let him go on a free and just take the gamble, go with this team and let this team go as far as they can this season, because this may, this, this is where the team is right now. This is, this might be the one chance they have and they've, they've just got to do it. And so I don't like two or $3 million. I don't think that's worth it to give up a chance at whatever they're going to do this year. And so I think just let it play out the way it does. Keep him, let him go on a free and then just hope we go deep in the playoffs and hope they win some silverware and just let it go. There's two reasons to think that, um, there's two reasons to think that the summer is going to see uh, offers, even if um, even if it becomes known that he isn't going to sign a deal. Um, it's not just teams saying like, okay, maybe we can't compete when it's time for a free transfer. Because if you're signing someone on a free, the money that you would have been able to put towards a transfer fee is now available to you to bundle into their wages instead. So usually if you get, a free transfer, the salary you get as a player is larger as a result because the, you know, the everyone in the, everyone in that deal knows that you've, the team has more money to spend at that point. The other reason is that European teams like to get their team set before their season begins. And most of them have their season beginning uh, in the summer, in the late summer. So um, there's two different compelling reasons that we could, even if, even if Lucho doesn't, sign and it becomes known that he's not going to sign, we could still see teams making offers at that point. Um, as to what DC should do, I mean, we're fans, so I don't really care if DC loses a couple million dollars. It doesn't affect me. What I want is for them to win something. Um, and so obviously from that angle, the answer is keep him, win something. And, you know, if he leaves afterwards, that's what happens. This is actually... Um, a similar sort of scenario to Ryan Nelson in 2004 um, where he didn't sign a pre-contract, but it was known that his contract was up at the end of 2004 and he hadn't re-signed that they won MLS cup. It was still out there that he hadn't re-signed and it was like, well, if he hasn't re-signed by now, he's probably going to leave. So there's a little bit of a precedent here where it turned out really well uh, for everyone involved, but you do lose the money on that transfer fee. Um, but we have to remember this team is leveraged pretty badly with this, uh, the loan to get the stadium done or loans, I should say plural. So 
um, financially, that's that's going to weigh on people. That's not they're not going to be like, well, let's just go for it. And and that's it. Um, if the offers that come in in the summertime are compelling and I don't know, you know, in my mind, what does that mean? I don't know, um, because if you're just trying to jump the line and not get caught on the free transfer side, if you just want to say, we'll pay this now to avoid a bidding war for free transfer later, you know, the salary or the, the fee that DC might be getting offered is more in that two, three million range at the best, because you're only, you know, you're only getting, you're jumping the line. You're not getting the player in this. It's not the same as doing it in the winter. And to be Um, clear, that's the fee that the team would probably be paying MLS and DC United only gets a chunk of that chopped up, which is what happened with, or some of it goes to the player. Some of it goes to his agent. Some of it goes to intermediary. So, and all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, you're looking at $650,000 in gam and nothing else. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the, the question of sell now and get something or hang on to him in the hopes that you win a trophy and he leaves for free. Um, it's not just going to be influenced by wanting to win a trophy. Um, it would be if, if we were in charge, but it's not going to be. Um, but it also, the other side of that is if everyone comes in and they're like, we'll give you half a million dollars, then you say, get out of here. Don't call this number ever again. Um, but if the offers are real, um, then we might see him go early because of the financial situation. So, um, what I want though, I think the question is what I want. I want them to win trophies. Uh, we're, you know, we're all in this together. We, we want to see the team lift something at the end of the year. So yeah, keep him. Yeah. My response is less like I, I go right past whether to keep him or not, if he's, if it becomes clear that he's not going to resign, like first and foremost, get him to sign and Lucho, please sign. Um, DC United offer him more money than he needs to accept this deal. And Lucho take, take the deal, put in a buyout clause so that if a transfer offer comes in at whatever price DC United value him at, um, they have to accept it. Uh, do that so that, you know, if you're making $15 million, that becomes different than, 2 million um, and, and becomes understandable. I don't want to lose him this summer either way, but um, do what you have to do to get him to sign on the line. Um, and if you can't do that, I go right past whether they should sell him or, or keep him to the end of the year and say, well, that frees up a DP slot that we can totally use to add depth and bolster this, uh, this run that we have while Lucho is still on the team, because of course we should keep him. Um, we well, I think that's only- different. I think they should sign a DP regardless of what they do with Lucho. Well, all right. So right now, the Lucho, well, we know that uh, Rooney's taking up a DP slot. Yes. I think Ariola and Lucho are both taking up DP slots, but they're both in the TAM range. They could both be bought down. Um, Lucho, if he signs a new contract, will will go above that threshold. Sure. Uh, he'll He'll be above the one and a half million, hopefully presumably well above the, the one and a half million cutoff for, for Tam for sure. So I I see what you're saying. They should use, they should buy down areolas. I don't know if they have enough to do both of those things. Um, But I, I I want them to do one or the other and that lets them get in with the, the summer transfer window, get someone, in well, I feel um, like South America or Europe and in, in the short term add to depth and in the long term 
replace Lucho or, or fill in a spot somewhere else. But like, if you know that the, if the team knows that they are losing Lucho at the end of this year, throw the chips into the middle, do what you got to do, win something now, because well, when especially Lucho's with, gone, it's, he's gone. Well, especially with how light the roster is right now, they've, they're, they have to do things in this summer window regardless. And the, whether they're going to know what they're going to know more about what Lucha is going to do uh, coming this summer. And they're going to have to uh, prepare for that. And so they're going to have to do a lot of things this summer and a, a DP, whichever way they work, it is going to be a part of that. I feel like really just hoping this charmed start to the year keeps going um, both on the field and with signing Lucho. That would be real nice. Uh, next question comes from a longtime listener and, and frequent Twitter box uh, correspondent Mur Mur at Mur DCU M U R R DCU who asks us at filibuster DCU. Will Chris Durkin become a regular starter in our midfield in the near future, or should we do what's best for the player and sell him? Um, I, I, I think the plan is, well, we talked about it in the last segment, right? Where, where Knaus and Moreno are, are one of the best, if not the best, uh, central midfield pairings in MLS right now. And, and ain't nobody cracking that until squad rotation or injuries or something forces it. So, um, I don't think he'll become a regular starter just because those two guys are playing at such a high level. That said, the team's plan this year was to showcase him in the U-20 World Cup, which is a much bigger shop window relative to MLS than, you know. So I I think that um, the plan was for him to go excel at the U-20 World Cup, maybe even raise the damn thing. That would be awesome. And, And then wait for the offers to come in. And they've already come in. But but hopefully they'd be bigger offers and and ones that DC United would be willing to accept because one million, which was the I don't know if it was reported or just rumored, but the offer from uh, Benfica last year, um, that's not going to cut it for Chris Dirk and not for a teenager with his skill. So you see bigger offers start to come in and and sell him this summer. I think is the plan, um, but but we'll see. And and we're talking about a position where both Canals and Moreno are not. It's not like they're old and about to drop yeah. off. Those guys are going to keep getting better. The way that they would end up leaving and thus leaving an uh, an avenue for um, uh, Durkin to get in there would be if one of them was sold. Um, I've heard. I haven't heard any rumors about people interested in them, but I have heard. Um, other people mention the prospect of, you know, someone might be interested in Canals. Ben earlier tonight on this show mentioned the pot prospect of someone being interested in Moreno. Um, and they're playing at a level where it's not theoretical. It seems like it would be something that's possibly coming soon. Um, that's also the direction MLS is going with, yeah. with more eyes on the league. Um, especially after Almiron's transfer and, and just blowing it up in, in Newcastle, you're, you're going to have more scouts looking at the league and more teams willing to listen to those scouts when, when they say, listen, this guy's for real, he can ball. And, and when you have people playing like Canals and Moreno are, 
you have to start worrying about them leaving, which is is great and terrible at the same time. I mean, that's, you know, in the past in MLS, if you had a player of that caliber, you didn't even have, generally speaking, you didn't have anyone behind them that was anywhere close. Um, So we're in a great spot where we're talking about um, a player that's as good as Chris Durkin can't get on the field because of justifiable reasons, which is rare, but that's the situation. Um, I think it is going to, the, the fact that Moreno and Canals are still here, it kind of, I think if I'm Durkin and if I'm the team, I'm probably thinking the same thing that, you know, at this point in his career, he's got to be playing and he can't, you know, sending him down to Loudon isn't going to cut it. It's got to be high level games. So um, I anticipate offers coming in this summer. Um, my, my, in my mind, Durkin's probably not going to be here for too much longer um, because he's probably going to do really well at the U20 World Cup. Um, and, you know, he needs to be playing. And the team has shown in the past that with players that need to be playing, CE and Harks, for example, um, they don't want to be like, well, we want to keep you just to fill space on our roster. Um, and this is a case where we're also talking about, you know, Harks went for nothing whereas Durkin is not going to leave for nothing. So I think they're probably going to be maybe not actively courting, you know, not shopping him around the world, but I think they're definitely going to be listening when people call. Our next question comes, well, questions, I should say, come from Steve Renard at PRSteve27 on Twitter, who asks us at FilibusterDCU, have any of you tried Red Beast Irish Whiskey and what did you think? And what time do you actually record? And why can't we watch a live broadcast of the mayhem? And what do you do with listeners who only ask obnoxious questions? Steve, we do this. Our next question comes from Lyndon Gooch fan account, uh, who, who wants to know what we think about the, the Griffin Yao signing. Um, we, we talked about it before. It's great, right? Like this is what Loudon is for. This is where MLS is going. Um, not just as a, a selling league, but as, as a, just as a teams that are going to be successful financially and on the field are going to be signing teenagers to professional deals and building them up within their academies. Um, I think Steve Goff said that Yao has already left his high school and started taking classes online to finish his high school education so that he could have more flexibility to travel with Loudon. So this is already something that he's all in on and it's good that dc united are going to lock him in and and be able to develop him further yeah this is good unabashed good yeah uh you know we we already talked about this but yeah it's a it's this is how things are done well with good players uh in this sport so it's good to be joining that sort of thing rather than you know mls has muddled along for a long time um I'd also, before we move on, like to note that Steve also said he is not offering to send us a bottle, and I want to know why. <laughs> so, Steve, the Twitter box, uh, we, we turn back. it back on you. We're going to ask you a question. <laughs> why aren't you offering to send us uh, Irish whiskey on this, the week after St. Patrick's Day? On this, the day of my daughter's wedding. May your first child be a masculine child. Uh, that's another guy that ends up dead. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to be that guy. Nope. I'm just going to keep sure going. <laughs> dead characters in in movies. Although it's a pretty good range to go from um, 
God, why am I blanking on the movie? Um, from the Godfather. Earlier. No, this one was the Godfather. The one we re- I referenced earlier was. I'm, I'm not, blanking on it. I'm not going to dig you out of this. Nope. This is this is me just perishing in quicksand. Uh, next question, Parasaurolophus, uh, fantastically named dinosaur, at Lophus89. Did you ever imagine that after just three games, five DC United players would be named to the team of the week at least once, and Acosta, Hamid, and Kanaus would not be any of them? I think this goes under, uh, this team is humming, as Jason said earlier. Um, and, and the starting lineup has, has no holes right now, and it's wonderful. And um, yeah, it's also it, also people keep sleeping on Bill Hamid, and I don't understand why. Right, but uh, it's also been interesting that Lucho has been not he has not been him the same uh, player he was at the end of last season, and that just speaks to how much this team can continue to grow. That he hasn't been the Lucho of late twenty eighteen uh, twenty. Yeah, 2018. Um, but he can still grow into that, and that this team can get even better if he does so. Even that through three games, he has two goals and an assist, or two assists and a goal. And we're talking about him not performing at the same level. <laughs> like we are, our standard for Lucho Acosta right now is so absurdly high that having a goal or assist in every 90 minutes is is not up to the level that we're expecting of him that like and and that's a fair it's fair to say that is a a very slight step back from where he was at the end of last year because he was playing at such an obscenely high level right this this frankly incredible level he's at now is is not quite as good (laughs) yeah i I mean, I will say that once the game got to two nothing on uh, Saturday, Lucho was definitely looking to sh- to score a highlight reel goal. Um, he was having fun, like he was playing with a smile on his face, yeah. um, looking looking for that really special moment. That um, I, you know, players sense that, especially the most skillful players, they sense those moments in games where they can say, um, "Look, this game's opened up. The other team's down a man. They're tired, etc." Um, this is a chance where I can do something really special because that freedom is going to be there. And he was looking for that for a good long time. And maybe on another night, if he was playing a little more simply, he probably gets a goal or insisted somewhere in there um, anyway, but he was trying to, you know, give everyone a memory. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to complain about that. (laughs) If you're going to do it, this is the time, right? You don't want him doing that against LAFC in a few weeks when it's scoreless or or something. But if he's going to, you know, go and one mixtape on us that Saturday was the night to do it. Right. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to complain either. Uh, next question from Brendan Cartwright, uh, Brandonica, longtime reader of black and red United, longtime listener to this podcast outside of the usual suspects, Lucho, Dirk and Ariola, who's a dark horse to get a transfer offer this year. And we, we talked about it a little bit earlier um, before Ben mentioned it. I was going to say junior Moreno, was that Junior Moreno? Um, but I, I think he's the the right answer, also. Um, but I, I, I mean, at the same time, you you could see 
clubs in Mexico have started bidding for MLS talent as well. Um, especially the big ones, Tigres, uh, foremost among them going in for, I think club America too, going in for MLS talent. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if a DC United player like whether it's Lucho, whether it's, um, uh, Rodriguez gets an offer. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in MLS came asking about Zoltan Stieber either saying that he's not getting playing time. Like there, there's a lot of guys who could potentially move this summer or at the end of the year. And, um, it's, it's like I said before, it's wonderful and terrible to, to have opportunities like this and also to, to have to worry about it. Uh, I'll just throw like Joseph Mora is a really good left back and we see all over the world that there aren't that many of those. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if he continues to play well, if he plays well, when um, Costa Rica has international games, he's going to be in the shop window in a way that not everyone on the team gets to be. So he's another one that, you know, it could come up there too. Absolutely. And he, he wasn't called in for, for this window, if I'm not mistaken, but he, you know, if if he goes to the Gold Cup for Costa Rica and and shows well there, that's then that's suddenly a very different situation, right? Uh, last question before we we get out of here. After Wayne Rooney, who was the second best player against RSL, and has Real Salt Lake always been that dirty? Oh, that one comes from uh, John Douglas Commonwealth, fifty first state fantastic name uh who is at john wdc on twitter um so wayne rooney mls player of the week obviously the man of the match in this one who is next best junior moreno yep yeah that that (laughs) that tracks i Um, i thought about i briefly thought about voting for junior moreno over wayne rooney for uh player of the week he was that good um briefly though uh, you know, hat trick is a hat trick. Um, but yeah, Jim uh, Moreno is really effing good. Yeah, he was outstanding. Uh, it was a spectacular player. It was, it was the best I've seen him play by some margin, and it's not like we've seen him play badly a bunch. So you know, yeah, I mean, I remember early on, um, at the beginning of last year when he was still getting his legs under him, he would be really good for eighty nine and a half minutes of every game and make one mistake. And it was usually a mistake that would lead to a goal against. And as soon as he cut that out, he he became a very good defensive midfielder. And now he's become a best 11 quality defensive midfielder through the first part of this year. And um, it, it seems like he still has room to grow, which yeah. like what I don't know what comes after this, like, Eventually, you get to Mbappe or something. I'm not sure. A multi-million dollar transfer to a, a different league. Yeah, I don't know. And he's like, we we talk about Joseph Mora being in the shop window for Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica is a good national team in Concacaf. Venezuela is in Conmebol. That's a completely different and much larger shop window, even for a relative minnow like. Well, not even a minnow. Um, yeah, there's only what, 11 a relatively smaller team. There's ten. There's only ten yeah, yeah, yeah. nations in Conmebol, and the half of them go to the World Cup every year. And and Venezuela is 
at this point, one of them or not every year, every four years, you know what I mean? But um, playing for Venezuela, that's a huge opportunity to, to be seen. Um, We talked about the U 20 world cup being that opportunity for younger players as well. Um, But yeah, junior Moreno is he's balling out of control right now. And I don't know how much longer he, if he, if he keeps this up, how much longer we'll be able to hold on to him. Um, I think that's it. Anything else you guys want to get off your chest? I'll I actually in the, we probably I'll actually, enough. I'll actually in this segment on um, shouting out Ryan Kiefer and a, a post he put up after the game comparing TT uh, Rodriguez's goal with Marcelo Gallardo's goal against RSL many years ago at RFK stadium. Uh, both of them were, incredible volleys uh to beat nick Ramondo, um and and that guy goal is just seared into my brain um and i watched a replay i tt's not left-footed is he nope his goal was with his left foot um was gallardo's left i know gallardo was very left-footed no gallardo's with his right foot yeah they were both with the weak foot which is a, a parallel that that I didn't realize until I watched both of them like three times today. And I'm, I'm in awe of both players and both finishes. They were both so good. Go find that post on black and red United and just watch the videos until you fall asleep, which you won't because they're both so good and your heart will be racing so hard. Uh, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Find us at black and red united.com. Uh, if you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu at Black and Red U. You can find all our personal Twitter accounts linked on the filibuster Twitter page. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, please tell a friend about the show. When you're watching the U.S. national team, when you're watching the game against Orlando uh, at a bar, or you have friends over to watch because you... You know, not everyone wants to subscribe to Flow FC. I'm not going to judge you. Just tell a friend about the show. That would be very helpful to us, and we would consider it a kindness. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Vote for TT, Goal of the Week. Don't get robbed again.